Hello all, welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. And Merry Christmas to you all. We come to you just a couple of days before the big day. We haven't got a game to review, of course. The West Ham match was postponed because of Norwich's COVID outbreak. But we do have one to look forward to. As things stand, Arsenal due at Carrow Road on Boxing Day. But Paddy, Connor uh, are with me as usual and... I suppose the main thing, as we sit here right now, Paddy, is is whether the fans will be there, whether behind closed doors games are depressingly not too far away. Once again, we all I remember saying on this pod not that long ago that hopefully we'd seen the last of Norwich City games behind closed doors because I never want to see one again. But as we sit here today, we can't say with 100% certainty that, that they're not going to be coming back quite soon. No, Dave, no. This, uh, just to clarify, it is Wednesday afternoon um, as we sit here and... Uh, yeah, and as we sit here, games in Wales have gone behind closed doors in the last 24, 48 hours. That's been announced. Scotland as well. I think they've indicated uh, on Tuesday, is it 500 in the grounds? I'm not, I'm not, I haven't looked in yeah. detail, but, but I'm not sure whether that includes, obviously, players, staff, officials. But, but if, it, if it does or doesn't, it's a very small sample of supporters. So if the, uh, if the countries bordering England are going down that route, then... You know, you have to expect that at some point uh, beyond Christmas, because uh, the latest from the government and the Prime Minister is that there'll be no need for any further uh, lockdown-esque restrictions this side of Christmas, whatever the political reasoning is for that. But but in terms of if that is the messaging that they're putting out, then I think we, we can safely assume uh, Boxing Day, Car Road, supporters will be in attendance. But thereafter, you know, we've just had in the last few days, you know, there's there's a, there's a number of Premier League clubs who didn't really want to be playing the, the next fixture, which is the 28th, 29th, 30th. They wanted, a, if you want to call it a mini-circuit breaker. Um, but the overriding view of the Premier League is that the fixtures will have to be, if at all possible, fulfilled. Um, but ultimately, we're in a holding pattern, as always, with uh, this pandemic, and uh, nobody can really predict with any great certainty where we will be in two, three, four weeks. So, as it stands, all we can say is, hopefully, we won't be in a situation where it is either partial or full closures of stadiums. I think, personally, my own personal opinion is the games will continue because of the whole element of the the broadcast deals around it and the and, and the games having to be on for TV purposes. So I think um, I don't I don't envisage any scenario where the the games themselves, as it happened at the very start of the pandemic, where we had that pause for two, three months and the the season was suspended, I don't think we'll we'll get to that point. But you have to be realistic in it and it does feel that obviously subject to where we are now in the next two to three week period with with rising COVID cases and this Omicron variant uh, and obviously the booster rollout, all of those elements will come together, potentially could result in, in... games in England having either less supporters or no supporters and the last thing I'd say on this one is interestingly as I say it's Wednesday afternoon Wednesday morning Mikel Arteta Norwich's next opponent manager of Arsenal he was asked about this at his presser this morning and and specifically about support playing in front of no supporters and he said he really really hopes we don't get back to that point because it isn't the same sport and I think we're in a privileged position but having experience that through Project Restart he's right it isn't the same sport it's a very hollow experience and uh, you know we just hope against hope that uh, despite the measures that are now looking to be adopted in Wales and, and Scotland that that doesn't come to England because you know for a whole lot of reasons um, that that wouldn't be a great development would it so um, yeah. you know it's a, it's a worrying time but ultimately if we deal in the here and now we expect Cairo to be a full house uh, on Boxing Day I just hope we don't get a few weeks down the road and then football is being blamed for, partly blamed for the spike of Omicron and that a lot of people then get infected from it and stuff and then we do end up going down. So, you know, say this with, uh, you know, a heavy pinch of salt, but you've got to hope that the government 
make the right call in this situation. It's not an easy call. But anyway, let's try and avoid any more COVID talk because we're all sick of it, aren't we? It permeates our lives unavoidably now inside and outside of football. Um, and the big thing, of course, Connor, is this is a difficult game. Arsenal have won four games in the spin. They're up to fourth. They finally see their faith in Arteta seems to be being paid off. But as we head into this one, of course, Christmas Eve press conference is going to be where we find out the big news, isn't it, in terms of who's back. But the club have put out a, a video with a, a few clues for us, haven't they? Yes, they have, which is uh, which is nice of them, particularly yeah. particularly in the job that we do. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think supporters will be looking for two names in particular, won't they? Milo Rashica and, and Matthias Norman. Um, a few people were eagle-eyed enough to see that that Max Aaron's wasn't training. Uh, you know, obviously we'll, we'll find out on Friday, but from from what we believe, I don't think that's that's anything to be too duly concerned about ahead of Boxing Day. So. Um, that's that's a positive, um, but yeah, it, I mean, if Norwich could get those two back theoretically, um, I, I would maybe argue more Rashica given their their struggles at the top end of the pitch, and certainly the noises at the moment are encouraging about his fitness. So hopefully that goes in in, in the right direction. They get him back because if we see the player that we saw before he got injured, where it just looked like he was just beginning to look like the player that we all thought Norwich had signed in the summer then that may just add something, an element at the top end of the pitch that they so desperately need. And I think anyone that watches Norwich City knows how much they need that, a bit of pace, a bit of creativity, a bit of something different in the in the final third, because at the moment it's very difficult to see where the, where the goals are coming from um, beyond Timu Puki. And, it, and, and that's the, the damning statement, isn't it? If Timu Puki doesn't score, then neither do Norwich City. Well, before his injury, it, it was beginning to feel like if Timu Puki or Milo Rashica didn't either score or produce something, that... Norwich City weren't scoring, so um, yeah, let's let's hope we see him back. I mean, I mean, the caveat to that is we're talking about a player who has one assist in the Premier League, still yet to score, um, and that was a corner. So again, even if we see an improvement in terms of his output, part of me feels that that's not going to be enough in in terms of what Norwich City need. It needs to be a real sea change in terms of output, not just from Rashica, not just from Puki, but from three or four players: Josh Sargent, Adamida, Christos Scholis. Um, who will hope well, it was in that training video, so so it looks like he's he's going to come back after his COVID infection. So, hopefully, uh, a, a squad that resembles a bit more, uh, well, looks a bit closer to the one that Dean Smith would would choose if all his options were available. Because, obviously, the circumstances and uh, whatnot that the Aston Villa game was played under with players on the pitch and on the bench who are feeling unwell. Um, the amount of players out, obviously, if if they'd have gone to West Ham, the game got called off. I think. It's more than likely we'd have seen 23 players um, in, in the starting lineup. John Rowe, probably, probably one of those who, who maybe would have been given the nod. The bench would have been full of kids as well. There were, what, nine players at Colney training last week. Last week. So, yeah, hopefully they're, they're coming through that period now. And as Paddy says, we, we look towards a more positive one. But, um, yeah, if they could get Milo Rashica back, Mateus Norman, let's, let's see. Um, that would be, I think, a, a huge boost for everyone ahead of uh, what is a very busy festive schedule. Would be. Um, and at the mention of Max Aarons, I will flag, if you haven't already found it, we now also record a bonus pod, the Pink and Podcast Extra Time, which we have christened the Monday Night Club, where we uh, drill down into a bit of specific analysis and we discussed whether Norwich should sell Max this January if a good bid comes in, which is obviously a debatable thing in itself, with whether anyone will have much money to spend this January or not. But should Roma or one of the many hundreds of clubs that he's been linked with, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, the list goes on and on. If one of them should stump up the money, should they sell him to reinvest, to strengthen, to try and stay up this year? So that was the big debating point. That is available exclusively to Pink and Plus subscribers. I'm sure you've heard us all banging on about it in re- recent recent weeks, um, but that is one ninety nine a month or £20 up front for the year. And you hopefully will be seeing sort of the, uh, the pattern of that emerging now, which stuff is available exclusively and um, that will continue to to develop over the months ahead. But looking at Arsenal's results, Pad, they beat Southampton 3-0 at home, West Ham 2-0 at home, uh, then thrashed uh, Leeds 4-1 on Saturday evening, and then there was this game Tuesday night where they, um, was it the quarterfinals of the League Cup? Yeah, um, they smashed Sunderland 5-1, Eddie and Ketia getting a hat-trick and a lot of changes and stuff. But it feels like they had laid quite a bit of groundwork with Mikel Arteta, hadn't they? They had seen that if they stuck with him and allowed him to build a long-term project, that 
they would get their sort of just rewards for it long term. And it does feel like he is now building some some momentum. I mean, they're not going to challenge for the title this year, but if he got them into the Champions League, that would be significant for them, wouldn't it? Certainly in recent times, yeah, kind of post, well, even towards the end of the Wenger reign, where they were serial qualifiers for the Champions League, to the detriment of Wenger, really, because it was almost like, was that the height of their ambitions? It was, it was something ridiculous, like 15 or 16 seasons on the trot, yeah, they got in the top, top four and qualified. Um but be careful what you wish for because since then it has been a pretty fallow period and yet the signs look good and it's interesting that obviously now you know people are looking at Arsenal as yeah that looks like a club under back on the up with good young homegrown players there's been a lot of talk about their type of recruitment and and almost they're trying to go dare I say the Norwich route rather than buy ready-made you know off-the-shelf top-end top-end labels price tags sorry um, and develop both good young players from their own academy and obviously bring in one or two. Of course, the caveat to that is they can still go out and spend £50 million on Ben White. So they're <laughs> still, it's all relative, isn't it? But, um, but but you only have to go back to when Norwich, this reverse fixture, I think it was September, yeah. Norwich went there above Arsenal in the table. Arsenal were rock bottom, huge questions on Arteta. Almost it felt, looking at some reports going into that game, that his job was on the line. If they hadn't beaten Norwich, he probably was out of a job. Now, we'll never know the the veracity of that because they, they scraped to win. It was that late kind of VAR intervention um, goal um, that separated the sides that day. And of course, he's never looked back because since then they've gone on a very, very good run and they are probably one of, the, one of if not the form side in the division. So it just shows, yeah, that, you know, if you believe that you've got the right people in the key positions in a football club, you've just got to back them and stick with them and... Um, and then over time, hopefully, start to see the fruits of that, um, you know, sh- support if you're the Arsenal hierarchy. And uh, but it was interesting. Again, I referenced it earlier. Arteta's done his media already for for Boxing Day earlier today, and um, and and he's it, reading between the lines. It looked like it, it, he was having to just dem- dampen down the rise in expectation because there are clearly, you know, people who feel that maybe Arsenal can go on now and challenge the, the big big boys this season. And he was very keen to sort of keep feet on the ground and reiterate that there's a lot of things they still have to, to get better at as a club. And um, and as a result, you know, probably not don't run before you can walk kind of vibe. Um, so, yeah, it, it feels like a tough game in store for Norwich, but ultimately, I think now it feels it's more about what Norwich do or don't do rather than, you know, worrying too much about the opponents they're coming up against. You know, ultimately... You look at these next three games and if they go on uh, in some shape or form, Arsenal at home, Palace away, Leicester away, none of those look particularly easy or favourable for me. You know, all of those are good players, good clubs, good coaches as well. You know, so uh, really, you know, Dean Smith done a little bit of talking and, and, and said that, you know, this is almost a moving period now. If Norwich could come through this next festive swing of three games, I don't know what, what represents... For me, a good haul, maybe five points out of those nine. You well, know. I'd take that all day long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then it re-energises you know, the sense and the belief around the camp and, and inside the camp maybe that, OK, yep, we can still have a say at the bottom of the table rather than it goes the other way. Dare I say, you, you come out of the three games we're talking about there with no points or one point on the board. You have to think that other clubs will pick, kick on a little bit down the bottom and, and then it looks probably beyond them already. So... Um, I don't think it's overstating it to say that these next three games through this festive spell are, uh, in the bigger picture, massive for Norwich and obviously Arsenal's the first one. And you know, as you quoted there, you know they they arrive on the back of four wins, place in the League Cup semi-finals, full of confidence, um, young players who really are enjoying themselves. By no manner of means is this an easy assignment for Norwich. No, three defeats on the spin, one goal in five games. We've all had a, a while to dwell on those figures now, haven't we? Because of the postponed game, we don't know when that West Ham match will be arranged for yet. Obviously, we've got, got, got to worry about getting these games on to start with. But it feels to me like if they don't win at least one of these three, then it's going to take something really, really special. I mean, it's, it's still strange that we're sat here today and there are only three points adrift of safety with a healthy goal difference swing lead as well. So let's say four and they're six points from Leeds. So they are still very much of in... I mean, if they were to somehow win two of these games, they are cooking. But we've been saying things like that for a little while, haven't we? So it's uh, it's almost a, about 
just talk, following on to everything that you were saying a few minutes ago, Connor, looking at what is available to them, trying to make sense of the 11 when it drops on, hopefully, <laughs> on Boxing Day afternoon and, and going from there. The, the quotes you mentioned, Pat, I will just... Um, quickly read them i won't i won't do a mikel arteta impression that's a shame <laughs> um i think they deserve much more from many many games in recent games as well under dean they deserve better results and they haven't got them and we know at their place it will be a really difficult game if the crowd is there as well you know how special it is on boxing day so expect a tough match so um good to hear that little bit of, of respect if i if i uh, dig into your memory banks a little bit connor from the game at, at the emirates which was um, in September, I was at my mate's wedding, paying absolutely no attention to it and paying more attention to the beer on that occasion. Um, so I'm relying on you for this one. But I watched the replay back the other, or the highlights back the other day, and yeah, that goal was really unfortunate, wasn't it? But my recollection of it is that Arsenal were pretty dominant, weren't they? Yes, I think I think they were. Uh, from from memory, I think that was Andrew Mabamadeli's Premier League debut. I think maybe it's certainly his, his first Premier first League start. start yeah. yeah, which was and he was very good. There were there were some big calls as well. Todd Campwell dropped out. No Billy Gilmore. I think that was just after Kabak had signed. So I don't think he he'd come into the side. No, he's on the bench. Um, so it, it kind of felt uh, Kieran Dow started as well, even though Rashica was was on the bench and whatnot. So yeah, it was it, it was an interesting one. It was, it was probably a period where Norwich hadn't quite bedded in the the signings. Um, obviously, it came after well, it came during that that tricky start to the season, didn't it? So um, I think compared to other games against um, other other kind of teams that are up there, this was a lot more encouraging. I remember Brandon Williams being particularly good that afternoon against Nicolas Pepe. Um, and Norwich defended pretty well, but again, I'm, uh, you've, you've put the, the stats up in in front of us. Um, one one shot on, off target, or one one shot on target rather, three shots off target. Um, it just goes to, to, to show that maybe those attacking issues were, were, all, were already there, but there's, that was a Kenny McLean header yeah, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, so. yeah, and 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 there's no doubt in my mind that the both teams are in different positions now, and they were in in that game. Paddy mentioned Arsenal were were rock bottom. There was a lot of pressure around Mikel Arteta. The relief that came out of the Emirates at the final whistle was was quite something. Um, Norwich were there was a lot more encouragement around them. The new new additions, obviously Kabak had come in. There was a lot of excitement about the potential within this squad, and. Um, now it feels like it's kind of flipped and the excitement is with Arsenal and it's now Norwich who are under a little bit of pressure and need to find a result from somewhere. And like you say, we keep talking about if and if and if and if. If has to become when at some point or it needs to become now, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it just I, I just find myself coming back to asking myself, do I think they have enough in attacking areas? And at the moment, I, I don't really. Um, they're not causing teams enough problems and... Even though Dean Smith has improved them, I think you only have to watch them play to see them. They're a much more competitive outfit now, consistently than they were at this stage. I think under Daniel Farker, um, they look at and again not being um, not being disrespectful to Daniel Farker, but they do look a better coach team now in in terms of what the Premier League requires. They're a lot more effective off the ball. Um, but the issues at the top end of the pitch still persist, and ultimately, if you can't score a goal in football, then uh, you, you're going to find yourself in in real trouble. So. Yeah, if they can, and and again, I mean, um, one one element, encouraging element, attacking wise, I think is set pieces. That's that's something that I think has visibly improved under Dean Smith. Quite had to put into a good corner, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did, and uh, a good cross in the first half as well. So, there there are encouraging signs. It's just you hope it's not too little, too late, and uh, it feels like there's going to be a lot of focus on January when potentially not a lot could happen. So, that's difficult. But yeah, this game in particular, I think was. Um, the beginning that uh, I think uh, I'm trying to think Pat it was the first game Todd was left out wasn't it I think um, yeah I think, I think you're right Zoll I think that was Zollis's if it wasn't his first he was quite league bright outing, that day wasn't that was he his first start certainly yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, so I mean it was uh, and Gilmore was on the bench as well so it was probably the beginning of I don't want to say the beginning of the end for Daniel Farker but we were beginning to see the trends with players that maybe fans would later on question um, but uh, as a performance away at the Emirates, uh, I mean, wherever you go to one of those top big top six sides um, and you're competitive, which Norwich were that afternoon, didn't really offer much of an attacking threat, um, but they were well in the game. As you said, very unfortunate goal that they conceded. It could have easily been a point. Um, 
and who knows what that would have done for their confidence in the games going forward. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was probably a lot better than, than some other performances that we saw against Liverpool and Manchester City. But I think, as, as we know now, those two are on a completely different level to probably everyone else in the league. Well, it'll be very interesting. They clearly have some very good players. Bakayo Saka, so good for England in the summer. Emil Smith-Rowe is doing brilliantly for them. Erdegaard, Tierney. Ramsdale's done excellently since he's arrived there as well, hasn't he? I just feel with Arsenal that they don't have the consistency. They're not a title contender at all as far as I'm concerned. If they can get that fourth spot, it'd be excellent for them. But if Norwich can turn up with a performance that they're capable of, like they did against Wolves, I think we can probably forget about the Villa one, which was dreadful. And we now know that there were basically players on that pitch who shouldn't have been, or certainly that's how the club see it. I think some, you know, someone like uh, Munulis on the bench, Gilmore was on the pitch feeling pretty grotty. And that, that was not really a, a, a genuine reflection of who Norwich City actually are, um, as we'd seen against Manchester United just a few days earlier as well. So as much as that game has created a lot of doom and gloom, I feel like if they play that like they did against United or, and against Wolves, definitely not <laughs> Villa and Newcastle, um, then they ha- can cause them problems. And, and there is still going to be vulnerabilities to Arsenal. They aren't a f- the finished product at all. So let's just hope that Norwich can, can turn up. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. We'll park it there for now in terms of the Boxing Day game. What I wanted to do is because because of this busy period that's about to follow, three games in seven days, I'm not sure we'll really get the opportunity to do this. So I wanted to just have a look back over 2021, really, because so much has happened. I mean, the title win feels like ancient history to me now. You know, just, you know, metres from where... Um, uh, meters from the press box um we when it was still behind closed doors we were seeing Norwich players popping the champagne corks and Daniel Farker drinking beer and soaked in beer and having the ice bucket chucked over him and all that sort of stuff um the fans gathering outside that to me that just seems like a different lifetime ago so I've got the fixtures in front of me and I just thought we'd um we'd go through them for a bit of a an informal um 2021 in review really and right from the start I look at those first fixtures at the start of the year beating Barnsley 1-0 at home and Coventry 2-0 in the cup um, 1-2-1 at Cardiff there was Covid around then wasn't there Tim Krull missed games Mumba Ida um, several players McLean yeah they were battling with it right from then and we were behind closed doors but that seems a good one to start with Pad the 2-1 win at Cardiff, um, early header from from Hanley, Campwell scored a good goal, and that was when Dan Barden was in goal as well, wasn't it? So again, as I was just sort of saying, this all feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you've mentioned that you're talking about Norwich's year, it condensed down the year for, from that man's viewpoint, you know, come out of nowhere really because of injury slash COVID-related absences from McGovern and for uh, Tim Krull around that time of year. They brought in Orgen Island, didn't they? Um, former Villa keeper, but he wasn't fit when he arrived and subsequently never actually played a game for Norwich. So a, a lad who I think had been at Berry Town, uh, many rungs down the, the football ladder, um, found himself thrust into, I think he played originally, that was it, he came on from McGovern, didn't he? It was at the QPR game yeah. a week or two back uh, prior to that half-time and then FA Cup, I remember he played. and and But it was the Cardiff game because, you know, Cardiff always a very, very difficult place to go. I think Kiefer Moore was... Um, quite a totemic figure for them last season and uh, you just feared that a direct side I think it was Neil Harris was still in charge there wasn't it at that time and, uh, and th- Nick McCarthy would have been then wouldn't it no I think it might have been Neil Harris it was Harris yeah, yeah, Harris, it was Harris. yeah, yeah. but either way they're cut from the same cloth those two so um, you feared that uh, could that be a game where Norwich would slip up and they were I remember watching that um, I don't think we made the trip, as I recall. I remember us all sat in our various uh, That's right, yeah. home home offices, dotted around Norfolk, watching that game on a feed, and, uh, and Norwich were excellent, scored early. Uh, I think Cantwell scored that day, didn't he? Yeah, he did, um, yeah. Hugo was involved as well, if I'm not mistaken. And Big Grant scored from a header, didn't he? That's it, a Vrancic corner. Uh, but then, as you would have expected, they really were under the pump there in the final quarter, and, and Barden was, was excellent, so commanded, so assured. But... 
of course, we know how his sadly his year was to end, where he's uh, he's gone out on loan to Livingston. Looked like he was you know set fair to really push on again. Highly, highly thought of, um, obviously by Daniel Farker as it was at the time, but the club in general. Uh, sadly for him, the the, the health issues um, diagnosed with testicular cancer, and funny enough, just before we recorded this, we've had a you know a bit of an update that things are progressing very well, and you know touch wood, hopefully next season he. He should be able to return to the folds, and that's great news to end the year for him as well. Because what a for such a young man, what what a an episode to have to go through really in your life when everything seemed to be the wind at your your back, and as a footballer, you were you were you were making some big strides. So, um, but on a broader point, back to Norwich, yeah, I mean that was you know potential there to for, and of course at that stage of the championship season, we look back now and Norwich had a healthy cushion by the end but of course in those months where you still had plenty of games left to play the likes of Bournemouth and um, you know Watford snapping at their heels you know they were the type of games that they had to get the points on the board just to give them that breathing space just to almost deflate the opposing clubs trying to chase them down because any encouragement I'm sure there would have been clubs come out of the pack and who knows how that season would have panned out so that was for me maybe in microcosm. That was the, that was Norwich's championship season last season. They what wasn't the cut and thrust, free flowing championship title winners of the two seasons prior to that. You know the Millwall game here at Carr Road where it was entertainment and goals guaranteed. You know it it was a far more attritional march than that title, and that typified it. A, a day like Cardiff away where you know they had to yes win the battles before they could show their quality and, and we saw that side of Norwich far more maybe than the, the free-flowing of course as I say that I'm thinking immediately the seven or eight goals they put past Huddersfield later in the season but <laughs> you know that was the exception to the rule I think that season was very much maybe because of the backdrop to you know fans still barred from the stadiums and all that went with that that it was a roll your sleeves up type of season and ultimately that performance we're talking about there was a roll your sleeves up win yeah, the one I always go back to is the 2-1 win at Rotherham when Krill saved the penalty, which would have made it 2-0 to Rotherham. And yeah, they did. They ground out. That's certainly how they built the confidence of the title win long term. It was on grinding out results. And then they eventually were able to, to sort of run away with it a bit, weren't they? Um, I'm following on from, from that win, 2-0 home win against Bristol City when Hugo scored both goals. The FA Cup fourth round 1-0 defeat at Barnsley pad. That was a grim day, wasn't it? Shut down with rain, freezing cold. Let's not spend any more time on that one. It was rubbish. And this was the wobble, Connor, wasn't it? That, that Maybe that was the first sign of it, really. Yeah, the 0-0 at home with Middlesbrough when Warnock just told their... Darnell Fisher, their right back, just a man Mark Wendy literally tracked him everywhere on the pitch, didn't he? It was horrible. The nil nil at Millwall again, another horrible one. I think that was one we couldn't go to as well, wasn't I was it? At that one, yeah. You were at that one, yeah. I was just one of us who was able to get him. Was it? Oh, well, having said that, though, you've just popped into my head. I've, I've, uh, and as as we all know, we had to go through quite stringent, well, not stringent, but temperature checks at every ground we went to, and in this period, and obviously a lot of clubs as well insisted on sort of questionnaires, COVID questionnaires. Um, and having filled all that out, I've driven down bitterly cold day that day. Had the heating on in the car. Pull up outside Millwall, took my temperature, and I was apparently on the cut line oh, for yeah. being allowed into the ground. <laughs> to the extent where I had to park up, get out, half an hour in the fresh air, and then took my temperature again. And thankfully, I was below the threshold that permitted me access to the stadium. So you do like to pump up the heating in the car, though, don't you? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> and it nearly was to my detriment on that particular occasion. I think it was a night game from memory as well. So that's what I remember about Millwall. I couldn't tell you too much else from that drab nil-nil affair. Yeah, it was a Tuesday night. Yeah, I think it was pretty grim. Norwich were in a sports hall, weren't they? At a, a temporary dressing room in a sports hall across the road, and then the one that we'll all remember: two-nil defeat at Swansea, which is what allowed Brentford to actually not Norwich off top spot. So that was a Friday night. Again, long trip to Wales, so we decided not to go, didn't we, with the sort of COVID situation at the time. We decided it was on telly. It was better for us to just do what the fans were doing and monitor it from a distance. So if I take you back to that, Connor, that was, um, you know, it was preceded by, what, a nine-game winning streak, I think it was. But mm-hmm. at that time, wow, people were worried, weren't they? Yeah, it was it was a major wobble, wasn't it? Um, because of, of what Paddy said, they looked so efficient, they looked so effective. It just looked like a, it was very business-like, wasn't it? The way they were going about the championship, they were turning up, they were 
they were beat. They weren't blowing teams away, but they were winning, and they were winning games uh, on the whole pretty comfortably. They had uh, probably the two best players in the championship in in Emi Buendia, oh, three probably Timu Puki and uh, and Oli Skip. Um, you could throw in a, a lot more, I'm sure, out of that yeah. out of that yeah. side. When there are five Norwich players in the championship team yeah, this season, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've I've narrowed it down to three, but yeah. you can you can easily make the case that they're the well, they did have the eleven best players in the championship, yeah. but um, certainly the the three standout ones and. Yeah, this this felt like we saw what Neil Warnock did um, tactically. Got it absolutely spot on that 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 day um, in the nil nil draw. Millwall was it's always a tough place to go. The the den um, even without fans and the pitch wasn't great. The weather wasn't great. Um, there was a chance right at the end, wasn't there? Which Mill should have uh, should have scored. I, I want to say it was an error now, but to be honest, my my memory's a bit hazy from the behind closed doors games. Um, yes, there was one sliding in at the back post, wasn't there? Yeah. They just had a counter right at the Did end. Did Jed Wallace have a decent yeah, chance? There was a few, as I recall. Now, in that final quarter, Norwich yeah. were literally clinging on. Farker was furious, wasn't he? The balls yeah. were getting fired across. Yeah, I think there was a few mad blocks. I think Hanley and McLean threw himself at. Yeah, they were probably on balance fortunate to come off the pitch with a draw that night. Yeah, uh, and then obviously the, the Swansea defeat felt like the kind of, um, yeah, felt probably the the low point within that run really because it, it was a defeat. It was against a, a promotion rival. Um, that was an error as well, wasn't it, the first goal? Was it Tim Crawl who, who made that error? Uh, again, that McLean gave it away, didn't he? And Hurrah picked it up. Oh, no, that was There's the corner. Yeah, piece, that was the second it? goal. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah Crawl dropped the corner, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so so again, it, it felt at that point like, um, hang on a minute, maybe Norwich aren't as good as as we thought they were. Maybe these these players aren't aren't going to make of this what what we thought they were. And then obviously, I can I can see the run in front of us now. It's just it's just lots of green, um, and within that run, the game that I mean, I felt it probably fairly fairly early on, um, but the game that really hammered home to me. Yeah, okay. They're, they're going up basically was was the Brentford game um, where where they won one nil and and there was a lot of pressure that night it was I think Brentford was second it was it was top feet second and and there was a lot of um, noise from from the Brentford end and, and Norwich were very professional in the way they managed that game it was uh, an Emi Buendia goal wasn't it I think um, if if I remember yeah. remember yeah from the edge of the box yeah he's from one the of his the yeah. several left footed finishes exactly and and that's the quality that that they had um, and that he had he was capable of winning matches pretty much single handedly last season um, and yeah the the rest was the rest was history really but that particular run yeah I remember they lost that Swansea game and as you said I mean last season um, I, I covered pretty much all bar probably three or four away games uh, at home so I'd, I'd have been sat on my desk with my slippers on mm. following on, on iFollow or, or Sky or whatever and I remember shutting my laptop down for, they could they could they could blow this here they could go um, because once uh, we we know the championship too well when you get in a rut like that and you get in a run like that it can be very very difficult to get yourself out of it um, Similar, similarly at the moment you're seeing Fulham and Bournemouth go through it uh, in the current season it seems every team has a run like this in the championship at some point um, and yeah it, it was a really difficult night it was on telly as well so, so that probably made it a little bit harder for, for Norwich fans because it was in, in, in a national um, in front of a national audience Emi Buendia um, that was a game he missed, wasn't it? For for a red yeah, card. that's what I was just thinking. We didn't mention that, did we? That he was sent off in the Borough game, wasn't he? And yeah. that the sorry, he missed the Millwall and the Swansea game. So we were back in that territory, weren't we? That Norwich can't win games without Wendia, and it was sort of proven by it came to an end by they bounced back from the Swansea defeat by beating Stoke four one at Carrow Road, and and Emmy's back and and running the show, and then you've got a nine game winning streak, which if I'm remembering correctly, that was the first time that Norwich have ever won nine games in succession. But they did win 10 league games in succession in the 86 title winning season. I think I'm getting that right off the top of my head. But there were some cup defeats in the middle of that run, weren't there? So it's the first time that Norwich had ever won nine successive games in all competitions. And Pad, we went to St Andrews twice in space of a week, didn't we? 2-0 win over Coventry and then a 3-1 win over Birmingham, which was um, quite uh, strange. 1-0 win over Rotherham, again, that, that sort of result. Wickham, 2-0 at Wickham at the end of February when we got sunburn. We went all wrapped up, didn't we? Because it had been so cold recently and then it, we just got bathed in sunshine the whole time. And I remember 
been stood interviewing Buendia after the game and it was like July. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so that was a strange one. And then, of course, that, that Brentford win, as Connor mentioned, which really, that, well, they'd reclaimed control by that point and they just kept moving through the gears. 3-0 at home to Luton. I can't say I remember that one especially. I remember Sheffield Wednesday That's though, Pad. That's a big Pad. one for me, yeah, because yeah. they were 1-0 down that day, weren't they? In the yeah. first half, they were, were off it. They weren't good enough at all. Um, yeah, and, and the two goals they scored were of the highest quality. I mean, Cantwell, for all his oh. struggles at the minute, what a finish that was. Uh, outside, of the, outside of the box, right-footed, like an arrow, top corner, back across the keeper. And uh, and that was the winner. Timmy Puki had gotten back on level terms with an unerringly accurate finish as well in that right-hand channel of the box. And I remember, actually, now, yeah, that was um, because, again, the mechanics of, of the COVID... Um, situation at the minute we don't tend to certainly with the managers post-match have a face-to-face it's normally through through technology through zoom um but that game daniel was actually pit side and um it was a face-to-face post-match interview and i remember distinctly that you know you could almost see on his face he felt that was a big day that because first half they were nowhere near it and in fact you know i've just seen the wednesday goal scorer a certain jordan road seven mm-hmm. minutes in um, so the script was probably written in a very negative way for Norwich that day. But uh, to turn it round and the quality of the two goals they scored that day, yeah, I think you know there was still a bit of work to do, but that felt like a big afternoon, I think. Then it was Forest a few days later, and I remember I was being sat there again, an empty stadium, and we hear Emmy's not in the team. It's like, uh-oh, here we go again, because thankfully, for good reason, that time his wife was giving birth, wasn't she? So, uh, And it had been in the early hours, so he wasn't in the team. But on that occasion, Kieran Dowell was fit, and he came in, played in Emmy's position, scored a brilliant goal, set up the other. They won 2-0 at Forest, and by that point, we're thinking, right, it's a case of when rather than if isn't it they're, get, they're certainly going to get promoted they should be winning the title from here uh, they're a little bit of a wobble um, 1-1 at home to Blackburn and then that bizarre game after the international break at Preston on the Good Friday which didn't get postponed did it when uh, Ollie Skip and Max Aarons I certainly remember would have had to have played twice in, in 48 hours wouldn't they and uh, Max didn't travel Yanudis didn't travel Skip was just on the bench that was when that would have been on Abamadeli's surprise debut wouldn't it Connor actually mm-hmm. thinking back to it yeah. um, who uh, Mumba came in Kintia came in but the fact that they they should have won that game shouldn't they and there was a really cruel late goal on, on sort of Mumba and Omabamadeli but that sort of the fact that they dealt with it showed their sort of poise I suppose yeah, and and their and their resilience as well. I I think, and that that was probably a, a key point last season. It never really felt, even when teams would score first or they'd score late on like that. It never really felt, apart from that run that we spoke about a, a little while ago, like it it particularly affected them or knocked them off course. It it kind of felt like it was so businesslike. It, they they had a plan. They knew what they were doing. They knew they were going to execute it. It was almost like they, they let off a a nice arrogance about them that even though they were drawing games against Preston in in what was bizarre circumstances. Um, the, the draw against Blackburn, which was when Ben Gibson got injured, wasn't it? Um, it just felt like they'd, they'd come back and win the next one because they had too much quality in that team not to. And it, it felt like a team that knew that as well. I mean, we've just flashed up the Huddersfield game as a, a perfect example of that. But just on that Forest game, I mean, that could have easily have turned out the way this Huddersfield game did mm. um, because Norwich had so many chances that night and were so good. And it was, uh, it was oh, hang on, maybe they can play about Emi Buendia. Um but that Huddersfield game is, yeah, as dominant a game of football as I've seen. I mean, Norwich were were brilliant, particularly that that first half. Um, uh, looking at now, Pookie Hattrick, Buendia, Campwell, Dowell. I mean, the the, three, the four of them were were electric. I think it was Dowell's goal, wasn't it? Where uh, hit, goal, hit, yeah, it made was. it five, didn't yeah. it? Just before the break. It was uh, it was sensational. It was it was it would have been surreal if uh, if fans would have been in the ground, but it was even more surreal without them. Mm. Um, it, it felt. At points like kind of a, a training ground exercise, but what a training ground exercise and what a joy to watch! It was, um, it, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. And for all the games in that season that maybe merge into one a little bit because I was watching them on the screen or we were watching them here at Carrow Road, and uh, some games where it's it's one one or something, it's very difficult difficult to recollect anything. I think that's a game that will stand out in my head for forever, really, just because of the quality of football that Norwich City played and and the goals that they scored, which were for the large part absolutely incredible I've I've not seen a team that on it um for well probably probably certainly not a Norwich team that on it in in the championship it was for me one of one of the best performances I've seen a, a Norwich team produce um in terms of dominance in terms of quality in terms of the goals they scored it was 
it was exceptionally good. And then you kind of get the reverse of that a few days later, don't you, at Derby, where it took a set piece and they had to do it a different way. And this this is what this is what really I, I come back to. They were effective. They had quality. They knew they had enough. Whether it was brilliance, like in the Huddersfield game, or whether it was an individual moment of, of quality as Kieran Dow produced against Derby, they knew they had it. And um, when they produced it, it was very difficult near impossible to stop I would argue and, and I think a lot of teams um, a, a lot of teams found that um, obviously to their detriment throughout the season Yeah it was a wonderful free kick from Dow it really was and we basically knew after the 7-0 that they were going to be promoted didn't we it was almost getting to the point of mathematical then and I remember being at Derby Pad and Sky were there weren't they they turned up with a camera crew because there was that was the first chance for them to get promoted but I think Watford probably won the lunchtime game so they didn't even stay to see the game did they they were like oh right never mind then and they went they didn't even stay to report on the game so I presume it was to live broadcast or whatever Norwich's potential promotion celebration but still they got the 1-0 win and then this uh, bizarre surreal day that I'm sure none of us will will forget fans reporters players everyone when they get promoted before the evening kickoff against Bournemouth, which turns out to be a 3-1 defeat and a pretty weird performance because Bournemouth still needed the points and Norwich then the, the pressure was almost off. And we turned up here a few hours early, didn't we? And I remember doing our live video. I was pitched up out the, out the front, wasn't I? And and it was just a, yes, a surreal day. I think that's the word we used mainly, wasn't it? Well, also, I mean, the thing that immediately, I'm looking as you've got the fixtures there, they were promoted five whole games before, yeah. you know, before the end of the season. That's how dominant in, over the piece and relative to the clubs behind them they were. That, and obviously they were promoted by not kicking a ball. Was it Watford failed to win earlier in the day? There was something happened earlier in the day that sealed Norwich's promotion, wasn't it? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah I think there might have been a late equaliser. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but 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 irrespective, yeah, Norwich arrived, and I think from memory, I think all the players and the coaching staff would have been up their park farm base as it was then watching the game yeah Watford Watford lost 1-0 at Luton which is the local derby wasn't yeah, it yeah and that, that sealed it so you can imagine how surreal that would have been and and then you you flip that and the opponents are a, a Bournemouth team who are coming like a train really strongly with a playoff push um, under John Woodgate as it was with a lot of quality I mean they'd, they'd lost their way obviously came out of the division Premier League Took a while to sort of find the right gear, but you looked at some of the players they had, the likes of Brooks, Dan Juma, you know, excellent players for the championship level. So he scored such a good goal that night. Yeah, you pull all the strands together, it wasn't probably a huge surprise that that Norwich's motivation levels probably weren't anywhere near Bournemouth's that night, and maybe the party had already got started. And to take it right back to what you said at the start, you know, at the end of that game, how more surreal that you've lost the game three one, and. The players, I think, went back inside and they all came out and they had mm. those obligatory "we're going up" banners and that was what to do at first. No, did they? no, it was because fun. because there's nobody in the stands other than yeah. us hacks. So when we weren't really going to be celebrating with them, so uh, yeah, that probably just underlined sadly where we were last season that a moment of what should have been euphoria and shared joy with twenty five thousand Norwich fans was a pretty empty, hollow experience. Yeah, it's a brilliant, obviously very busy time for us, but it's brilliant. I think we did get a beer right at the end of the night, didn't we? It was probably 11 o'clock or something by then when we were sort of starting to wind down and uh, the club media staff said, oh, there's a few beers left over, do you want one? And we we finally got to sort of uh, have five minutes and just talk about, yeah, what a season it's been, eh? And seeing, yeah, all those great photos, you know, Ono Hernandez unveiling his, his tattoo and the craziness in the dressing room. But that five, ten minutes after the final whistle, they were so disappointed with their performance. They did. They were like, well, do we celebrate? Like, they just couldn't quite get their heads around it. And then we always had a repeat a few days later when they lose 1-0 to Watford and all the fans are out there, aren't they, celebrating, partying? And, and again, that was a bit of a better performance, but... They uh, they let the, let themselves go from from there, and then the the season sort of rolls to a close. They won three one at QPR. Um, be oh sorry, no, I've got ahead of myself. I don't know. It was after the Reading game. Yeah. It was after the Reading game when the title was wrapped up, wasn't yeah. it? The four one and Javi Kintia back in the team. Um, That's a goal. Yeah, lovely goal. The free kick. Um, and he scored at QPR as well, hadn't he? And then it all came to a close at Barnsley, at Oakwell. Mario Vrancic, Alex Tete, all the emotional goodbyes, the tears. I mean, this is why I wanted to review it all, because uh, when we're sort of sat where we are at the moment in terms of Norwich being bottom and all the things that we started talking about right then in April and May about, oh, it's the Premier League, how is it going to be different? Will it be different? Have they learned their lessons? You know, the jury's sort of still out on that. We'll talk about that a lot in the months to come, I can guarantee you. 
but you know just to reflect on that a little bit the the, the big goodbyes and that was the start of a of a big turnover that summer yeah i think if you'd have sat there in january and said we'd be sat here just before christmas daniel farker wouldn't be here mm. Emmy buendia wouldn't be here ollie skip wouldn't be here maybe that one less of a surprise alex tetty mario vrancic marco steeperman you know the list goes on it's um some big names in recent history that are no longer here um and I guess that, that maybe contributed to the, the new feel that they wanted around the, the group and the squad. Philip Heiser. Philip Heiser, yeah. No light now, I was going to no throw in. It yeah. spoiled the mood. Yeah. Um... Tommy Tribal. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's a good job on Hernandez left a bit of space on that Norwich City tattoo, I think. And <laughs> he might have another year to fill in next year, but let's hope not. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it does feel very bizarre. Like you said, it's, um, it's very difficult for me to, as we kind of delve through the games, to really pinpoint specific moments within games because and I guess that's what maybe the fans would have felt like as well because although that greatness happened in that season they weren't there to see it it was almost like um, it was almost like a simulation you're watching it on a screen you're watching Emmy Buendia dance around four players every week um, making it making the league look far too good for uh, or him being far too good for the league it was it was very strange and and then they come back and it's Premier League football again it's the same struggles as to when they kind of left really um yeah it's 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 been a, it's been a funny old year because even though it was good on the pitch it probably wasn't as good as it should have been because of everything that happened and uh, likewise even though this season hasn't gone the way so far that maybe we hoped it would the, the fans have been back and at least they've got to they've got to see some players who who weren't I mean seeing Emmy Wendier in an Aston Villa shirt was was very bizarre so yeah it's 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 when when you sit down and reflect on it it's um it's been a very bizarre year. I keep coming back to that uh, Gattuso quote, which I won't um, I won't quote directly, but people can can Google it. It's along the lines of sometimes maybe good and sometimes maybe, and I'll let the the M word um, <laughs> fill in, and, and that's kind of what it's what it's been like really. But uh, as a yeah, as a period of football, um, really really positive I think for Norwich City and I think if if you'd have you'd have offered a lot of Norwich City fans in in January the chance to be sat in December sort of three points adrift from safety in the Premier League I think they'd have taken it possibly possibly yeah um I mean I won't dive into too much of the this season but obviously we saw all of those transfers you know Gibson and Yanulis being made permanent and Norman Kabak Sergeant Jollis all came in reasonably late um Gilmore being signed from Chelsea amid a, a lot of fanfare. Um, Lise Malou, you know, they, they really, uh, when that transfer window closed, I know there's been plenty of criticism of Stuart Webber and, and, and Farker and, and, and whatever in the month since. But my, certainly my feeling when that transfer window closed was that they'd shown the ambition, they'd spent a lot of money and that they brought in a lot in. But ultimately, we, we saw it was such a poor start to the season for various reasons. Again, can't avoid COVID. They had the outbreak in, in pre-season and all that sort of stuff. And now we sort of reached the point where we're assessing the next... The, the next chapter has started, hasn't it? But we still don't know what kind of chapter that's going to emerge to be in 2022. Yeah, I mean, all bets are off at the minute. OK, we're coming off the back of three defeats under Dean Smith, but the First three games of his reign, five points, really should have been probably a full house. You know, they were very good against Southampton and Wolves and then Newcastle, not quite at the levels, but what an opportunity they squandered that night. You know, 10 men at uh, Newcastle for 80 minutes and, you know, Connor said it, it's a lot of ifs, <laughs> but, you know, they don't feel a million miles away. For me, they certainly feel a lot closer to being competitive than two seasons ago at this level where I think by this stage you were beginning to fear for them. Timmy Pukki had got that injury earlier in the month of December at Leicester, was never the same player again. We were obviously, we didn't know it, but we were just on the cusp of some seismic events in terms of the pandemic and and it was a very slow, sad descent for a number of reasons back to the Football League. I don't feel we're on the same trajectory, but the risk of repeating what I said right at the start, you know, these next three games probably will frame the mood music going into 22. You know, if it's uh, Norwich in with a shot, and if so, can they push on? Or is it almost maybe internally rather than the public messaging about, and we've just spent a huge chunk of time talking about the championship, is it about preparing again for another championship season? And, you know, which players are going to be with them on the journey? You would expect Smith will still be there. You'd expect Webb will still be there because their contractual status is... So is it about 
you know, putting the building blocks in place for another possible turnover of players in the summer to come and crack on again. But, you know, you hope it's the former rather than the latter. And for me, I think it is too early still, even though they're in a pretty parlous situation. It is too early to predict doom and gloom. But, you know, five goals from Timu Pugi, eight in total from, from the entire team this stage of the Premier League season. That needs to change dramatically. Um you know, the whole COVID situation, these injuries that have been piling up, there's echoes of two seasons ago and you just hope that a little bit like there was a clear parallel between those two last two championship seasons and the Daniel, you know, both ultimately ended in title wins. Let's hope by May that we're not talking about the parallels between the last two Premier League seasons, which ultimately were a bridge too far and maybe not having the requisite quality uh, in the, the squad to be competitive at this level. I certainly hope that isn't the case. Yeah, let's hope we're sat here in a year's time, recording another podcast and Norwich are still in the Premier League. And we're not talking about bloody COVID anymore, but unfortunately we cannot uh, bank on that. And as the way things stand, let's just keep it in the short term and hope that we don't go back to behind closed doors because this little chat has brought back some some bad memories. I, it, you know, we're such a privilege that we were able to be there and we took that privilege seriously and responsibly and we did our best to provide as much coverage as we could but we didn't enjoy a great deal of it and I don't, I don't think the players and the coaches enjoyed a great deal of it either you know it's their job they've got to crack on but it's the lost season it's the lost season Dave and that's not yeah. trying to be twee or, or blase about it but you know in years to come yes in the records of Norwich's proud club honours it will show championship title winners 2020-21 but the memories I'm afraid will fade because the shared experiences, which is what it's all about following your football club, were just not available to supporters. So it is sad, but you know, that was the reality and, and in that context, the work that this football club did to navigate a path through that, and we've not even got into the financial elements and how they weathered those currents from not having the revenue that they would have got from supporters being in the stadium, you know, irrespective of how this season plays out on the pitch now, you, you can't underestimate what a huge achievement it was to come through all that and be back in the Premier League. We haven't even mentioned the club crest has been redesigned. The <laughs> soccer bot was opened. There's a, there's always stuff going on at Norwich City. It's very rarely dull. Let's just hope. I think as we've just emphasised, really, that you know new heroes can be created quickly. New exciting memories can happen in a flash. And equally, it can go the other way pretty quickly. So who knows what's lying ahead in, in the months ahead. But... We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening as ever. Have a great Christmas as best as you can make it as much as we're all having to be that little bit more sensible as COVID bites back and things. But uh, fingers crossed uh, we are all continuing with the football and that we're able to proceed safely and that we've got plenty to talk about in the months ahead without having to talk about behind closed doors games. But thank you very much uh, for listening uh, throughout this year. And if you fancy a little, uh, you're not sure what to get a loved one in your life and you think, oh, I could just get them a, you know, a Pink and Plus subscription for the year, then, you know, who knows, that might just keep Dad happy for the year ahead. Then uh, head over to pinkin.com. Uh, there's a tab on the uh, top of the homepage which has got the full details of Pink and Plus where you can subscribe. But for now... Thank you very much for listening. We will be back with you across the channels of the Pink and Channels on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Pink and Plus and our websites for the Arsenal game on Boxing Day. So we will catch up with you there.